Lasso. Welcome back. When I was a boy, maybe 12, 15 years old, the teacher brought us an interesting kind of test. She told the class, I believe it was a she, a long time ago, she told the class, this is a test to see how good you all are at following instructions. And then she passed out a little booklet with a set of instructions and said, okay, go for it. And she said, uh, and before you, um, and what you should do is read through all the instructions before you start following them. And so, passed everything out. And, of course, I like, I think, Every other student in the class, at most, gave a cursory glance through the whole thing, but just then started seeing all these instructions, and the instructions were very detailed, there were a whole bunch of instructions, and that is, punch three holes in this page, and now on this page, draw a square, and on this, and now, and now draw a triangle, and now spell your name backwards. I mean, I can't remember all the things, but there's a whole bunch of detailed instructions. And so I just jumped right in, and I'm punching away, like all the other students, boom, 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 boom. And then, oh, so many detailed instructions, and pretty much pointless, but nevertheless, you know, we're doing our best to follow the instructions all the way down, all the way down, until finally we're coming to the end of the class classroom hour, and then we see the final instruction in this whole list. And the final instruction was, ignore all the preceding instructions and simply sit quietly. And I don't know, but I wouldn't be surprised if this if that was this test has been brought to you by Padmasambhava. <laughs> and there's no way you can undo it because everybody had their little their booklets totally mangled, punctured, ripped, scribbled all over and so you know. So there was no way we could say that we had followed the instructions of reading all the instructions through before you start following them, right? So, in Padmasambhava's teachings on natural liberation, he lays out the preliminary practices, goes immediately to shamatha, and says, practice this until you achieve it. Do not receive teachings on rikpa before you've settled your mind in this natural state. And then he gives a whole bunch of other instructions about vipassana, dream yoga, so forth and so on. Let up lingba. Gives instructions on developing authentic motivation, a sound relationship with the teacher. Goes directly to settling the mind as natural state. Said, achieve this. This is the basis for all samadhis of state regeneration and completion. Dujum Lingba simply makes a one-line reference to the preliminary seven of them. Goes directly to settling the mind in its natural state. Said, do this until you achieve it. And then there's a whole bunch of other teachings. So it's amazing how many practitioners nowadays are just like I was when I was 12. Never mind, never mind what the instructions are, let's get on with the, the complexities. In this text that I've been translating, you know, the spare, spare moment here and there, 10 minutes here, 15 minutes there, it speaks of two large avenues of practice, a practice an avenue with effort. Effort, 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 effort. 
analyzing, investigating, transforming, cultivating, imagining, holding your breath, developing this, developing that. Very effortful. And then he says, and then there's the effortless path. The effortless path of Dzogchen. Release the effort, let your mind settle in its natural state. Having settled in the natural state, release the effort of grasping onto this, of craving for this, the bliss, the luminosity, non-conceptuality. Release the effort of reifying my mind, my awareness, the object over there. Release that awareness. Release that grasping. Then release the identification even with your substrate consciousness. Relax more deeply. Slip into the pristine awareness. And now simply allow effortlessly all the power of that pristine awareness to manifest. So that's those are the instructions at the end of the book. After you've read through all of the detailed instructions on the nine yanas, nine sequential stages of spiritual development. Finally, the, the ninth yana, Atti Yoga, Zogchen, and says, oh, here's the path, and it's effortless. Quite amazing. We return this morning to the shamatha practice that is most strongly emphasized in the Dzogchen tradition, subtly the mind in its natural state, which is such a microcosm of the vastness of Dzogchen practice itself, bona fide Dzogchen practice, the tekchu, the breakthrough to pristine awareness. All we're doing here is breaking through the coarse mind to the substrate consciousness. But it's a very, very powerful analogy, a facsimile, of the, one could say, immeasurably deeper practice. Because one is seeking to attend without grasping to whatever arises in the space of the mind, without preference, viewing all the appearances, all the objective appearances, as being of one taste, without preference without judgment, without superimposing our ideas, our labels, categories, and simply being present with whatever arises. Not only objectively, not only the thoughts, the images that arise, but also in terms of the more subjective impulses of emotions, of desires, of pleasure, of pain, and being present with all of them, without identification, without grasping. So the mor- this morning's method, I'm actually drawing from the Buddhist teachings in the Pali Canon. You might recall this about 12 days ago. His teachings to Bahia, where he says, in the scene, let there be just the scene. So we're going this, this kind of spiral route. Going out to the visual field, in the scene, let there be just the scene. Which is to say, in the scene, let there be just what is presented to you, divorced from the labels, the conceptual imputations, the superimpositions upon experience, realizing that these appearances are empty of the labels that we project upon them and the objects that populate the world around us and the object that we conceive ourselves to be are there only because they're conceptually imputed. Those objects are empty of any nature of their own. They're simply imputed, projected, superimposed. So attend to the visual field and see the empty appearances of form. Attend to the auditory field and attend to the empty appearances of sound, to the tactile 
the empty appearances of whatever's arising there, all being devoid of, empty of your labels, your concepts, your images. See them for what they are, these empty appearances. And then finally turn to the mind, and in that same quality of awareness, in the mentally perceived, let it be just the mentally perceived, without superimposing, without grasping, observe simply the empty appearances arising in the face of the mind, and in that way gain freedom with respect to the space of your mind and everything that arises within it. So that's a good way to start the week. Let's do that. Get a comfortable position. Beginning, middle, and end, we cultivate equipoise, balance. Settling the body in its natural state, balanced between relaxation and vigilance, sustained with stillness. Release all control over your breathing. Let it flow effortlessly, naturally, as if you were deep asleep. Letting your awareness descend into and fill the whole space of the body, quietly, non-conceptually. Attend to the sensations correlated with the respiration, wherever they are most distinct, clear, within the field of the body. Setting your mind at ease, in stillness in the present moment, clearly illuminating the sensations of the breath.
let your eyes be open. Bring the full force of mindfulness to this elliptical field, the domain of experience of visual forms, shapes, colors. Observe them with a conceptually quiet mind. And simply witness what reality is dishing up from moment to moment within this visual field. Close the eyes and direct the same quality of mindfulness to the auditory field, the domain of sound. Direct your awareness now to the tactile field. And in the felt, let there be just the felt. Restrain your impulse, your old habit of imagining your body and superimposing labels.
let your eyes be open, but this time let your gaze be vacant without attending to any visual. Just resting your gaze in the space in front of you. Then selectively direct your attention to whatever appears immediately to your awareness that does not arise by way of any of the five physical senses. If you were to shut them all down, what else is arising to your mind? What else do you directly perceive or experience? Whatever arises to your mental perception becomes not by way of the five physical senses. It's arising in the space of the mind. Wherever those thoughts, images, or other mental events occur, that's where the space of the mind is. Neither inside nor outside. It is where it is. Attend now single-pointedly to that space of the mind, that one domain of experience, and to whatever arises within that field.
Again, if you are new to this practice, you may help yourself to gain entry by deliberately generating a mental event such as a discursive thought or a mental image. Focusing on a single point of it, allowing it to fade, and keeping your attention right where it was. Observe the next mental event that arises of its own accord, simply observing its nature without seeking to modify or prefer anything that comes up, without preferring that nothing comes up without preference. Sustain your mindfulness without distraction and without grasping. And let's continue practicing now in silence.
Poisson. Many of you are spending a relatively small percentage of your waking hours in formal meditation. Even if you're spending as many as eight hours in formal meditation each day, that's still only half your waking hours if you're sleeping for eight hours. So this would suggest that the time in between session is a great opportunity. It should be really a major focus of practice since that's where most of the time is. It's certainly good to bring a quality of bare attention, non-reactive, just a kind of a witnessing mode of awareness to the environment, to our physical movements, and so forth. It's very good. It's kind of kindergarten on the path of enlightenment. It's pre-shamata, because just doing that will not develop very powerful abilities of highly focused selective attention. But it's good. It's good. Let's say it's kindergarten. It's good. If we consider shamata as like elementary school, Vipassana is high school. The breakthrough is undergraduate. And the direct crossing over is graduate. Then, bare attention is good. Preschool. But we don't need to... And the and that's fine. Preschool is good. I'm all for preschool. They have it right over on our wonderful school here. But to be in preschool and think, I'm practicing Dzogchen, I'm practicing Vipassana, I'm practicing Mahamudra... Well, then you're staying in preschool thinking you have a doctorate, which is kind of like silly, but it also then prevents you from actually getting a real education, which is kind of rather big downside. So rather than bringing to one's experience something that a marmot can bring, and that is just bare attention, view what is taking place with the eyes of wisdom. And this is a simple, simple exercise, but it's a very powerful one, and it's viewing it with the eyes of wisdom. And that is, whatever appearances arise, bodily sensations, the visual, the auditory, and so forth, whatever arises, observe those appearances themselves, examine them, see them clearly, and see through your own experience that they are, in fact, empty of your labels. The appearances are there, but the the appearances don't label themselves. They don't name themselves. They're empty of those labels. They've always been empty of those labels. Even when they're labeled, they're still still empty. Because it's superimposed, not emerging from the nature of the appearances themselves. So observe how all appearances are just appearances. And moreover, as we objectify and subjectify, objectify objects being out there having certain qualities which are appearances note that those objects arise because we label them which means just as those appearances are empty of the labels they're also empty of the objects that we impute with labels and likewise when we subjectify ourselves I am this, I am that my mind is this observe once again that the appearances of your own mind are empty of those labels and they are empty of the objects or the subjects that are superimposed by way of label. Now that can be quite liberating. So, enjoy your sessions and enjoy your between sessions. Let's go for a 24-7 practice. At least move in that direction. Okay? Good.